Good afternoon. Welcome to our Ellen and Overy podcast. We will be talking about capital call financings today. I'm Benedict Kurt. I'm a counsel in our Luxembourg banking department, specializing in finance law and advising regularly on capital call financings. I have the pleasure today to share this podcast with two of our fund experts, Yannick Abo, who is a partner in our investment funds team. Yannick, he specializes in the structuring, setting up and registration of regulated and unregulated funds. And we also have Joanna Pesenik. She's a counsel in our investment funds team, and she also has extensive expertise in fund structuring, fund setting up, as well as investor advice. Both Joanna and Yannick are regularly involved in capital call financings. In this type of financings, our investment funds team works hand in hand with our banking team. Now, what is capital call financing about? It is a short-term financing provided to a fund, typically to bridge investments made by a fund. It provides the fund with quicker access to cash. And to illustrate that point, let me just explain how it usually works from a fund perspective. The time period that a fund needs typically to get the cash from its investors is generally between 10 to 15 business days, sometimes even longer. With the capital call financing in place, this time period is reduced to one to four business days, which is, of course, very relevant for the fund and which can make a difference when an investment opportunity arises for the fund. Another important point to note is that the financing itself, the facility, will then ultimately be repaid through the capital contributions made by the fund's investors. Another key feature of capital call financings is the specificity of the security package. A capital call financing is secured by the undrawn commitments of the investors, meaning the cash that the investors have committed to inject into the fund. So the actual recourse of the lenders is to the investors and not to the underlying fund assets or investments. In terms of nature of the security that can be taken by the lenders, it slightly varies from one jurisdiction to another. However, in the presence of a Luxembourg fund, Luxembourg law would apply, and it would typically take the form of a pledge over the undrawn commitments of the investors and over the right to call these undrawn commitments together with a pledge over the bank account into which these undrawn investor commitments will be paid from time to time. And it is worth mentioning that this pledge over the undrawn investor commitments is over all the investor commitments, the undrawn investor commitments from the investors uh, from time to time. The key feature presentation of capital call financings would not be complete without talking briefly about borrowing base. What is the borrowing base? The borrowing base is actually a calculation method which is used in the context of capital call financings to determine and limit the amount of cash that the lender will ultimately need to make available to the fund. And this is actually what the lender will be lending against, so the borrowing base. In this context, the lender will make a due diligence on the investors and in particular check their creditworthiness. 
as a result of that due diligence, the lender will then determine whether the investor is included or eligible or excluded. And only the undrawn commitments of the included investors will be taken into account for the borrowing base calculation and will count towards the amount that the lender will be lending against, unlike the security, which will be taken over all the undrawn investor commitments. So let's maybe move ahead. And it's time for the first question. Yannick, can you tell us why capital call financings are considered to be attractive for funds? I already mentioned the quick access or quicker access to cash point, but beyond. Can you tell us more about the advantages for funds? Sure. Thank you, Benedict. Of course, you mentioned it. The first element is quick availability of cash, but more essentially, capital call facilities are really a cash flow or liquidity management tool that benefits funds, but also its investors. Improving competitiveness of funds in bids and auctions is, of course, the first thing that comes to mind in, in private equity strategies. But more generally, it's a reduction of administrative burden for funds and their GPs. It enables a fund to group capital calls in larger batches and less frequent batches, rather than having multiple calls from investors for small amounts. In certain strategies, it may be necessary to call a lot of capital for small investments. Now, with a capital call facility, this enables you to group these and Conversely, that benefits investors because investors are able to manage their own liquidities. Some investors even request capital call facilities because it enables them, if they have many commitments in many different funds, to just properly organize their capital call needs. In addition, in the current environment and for uh, many years, there is a relatively low financing cost in capital call facilities. And it's certainly a low risk, or at least perceived low risk financing for both funds and lenders. Thank you, Yannick. Maybe I can jump in on, on that point. Indeed, for lenders, there is indeed a perceived low risk because this type of capital call financing comes with very low default rates. The credit risk of the lender is not dependent on the value of the underlying fund assets, but rather on the undrawn investor commitments. And further, one should note that these investor commitments generally and typically involve commitments from, let's say, high quality investors. So perceived low risk for lenders, but there are also other advantages for the lenders in this type of capital call financing. These deals are perceived as relationship building deals by the lenders, of course, and the funds. So the lenders and the fund pursue a common goal which is to address the fund's borrowing needs, whilst at the same time, of course, protecting and preserving the lender's position. And they create also cross-selling opportunities. There's another advantage, which is a higher relative return for the lenders uh, as compared to a typical investment-grade product. And the commitment of the lenders in this context is generally a short-term commitment, typically between two to five years. And if the fund size is large, then the lenders can club together and there is generally then a syndicate of banks uh, or of lenders which can enter into the, the relevant facility. Now, based on our discussion so far, it seems fair to say that capital call financings are attractive for funds and for lenders. 
But since a capital call financing typically involves a triangular relationship between the lender, the fund, who is typically the borrower, and the investors, who play a key role in these type of financings, and whose unrun commitments constitute the actual recourse of the lender, it would be interesting to know what investors actually think about capital call financing. So, Joanna, can you tell us more about this, please? Sure. So, as you mentioned, now that the subscription facilities have become more and more widespread, investors generally accept them and recognize the benefit of using such facilities. Because ultimately, it is also a liquidity and cash management tool for investors, which allow them to not only to reduce the administrative burden of meeting capital calls and meeting all the internal requirements they may have for that, and also to better anticipate their capital deployment and would allow them to invest their cash in other assets pending the unique capital call to reimburse the facility. That being said, there are, of course, some concerns for them. Those concerns are twofold. One is the financial aspects of the credit facilities. The other key consideration is the privity that they may create with the lenders. As to the financial aspects, the first issue or concern is the related costs and expenses of a facility. Of course, the issue is not the interest rate because, as we've mentioned earlier, the interest rates are quite low right now, but rather the increase incremental costs, such as the legal expenses, the agent fees, the syndication. And the reason for that is because the facilities merely defer the timing for the capital call and do not, unlike leverage, increase the amount which is invested by the fund and therefore is not expected to derive additional profits that could cover those additional costs and expenses related to the facility. The other financial aspect, which might be of concern for investors, is the impact on IRR and how to measure it. The other key aspect for investors is also the subscription facility may create with lenders. As you know, lenders will conduct a rather intrusive due diligence on investors to assess their credit worthiness and to determine the borrowing basis. And as a result of such due diligence, lenders would typically require investors to make various acknowledgements, reps and warranties and undertaking in order to be included in that borrowing basis. Such reps and warranties can be providing periodic credit information, uh, obligation to fund capital commitment into a specified bank account pledged to the lenders, acknowledge the lender's right to call capital review of the managers, waiver of any right to set up for counterclaim or any other defenses. So these aspects are of a concern for investors. Okay. Thank you very much, Joanna. So it seems the, the feedback is rather mixed on the investor side. But let's now move again to the fund's perspective. Yannick, when considering to enter into a capital call financing, what are in your view the key points that the fund will need to address upfront in the relevant fund documentation and, and the key pitfalls, let's say, to be avoided here? Sure. As always, it is important for a fund or a sponsor of a fund to think about the use of capital call facilities early, ideally at inception of the fund, and to avoid typical pitfalls. Very basic information is, of course, to provide in the fund document that a fund may borrow to finance investments and other needs like fund expenses 
and to be able to rely on capital call facilities for that purpose. Another element that seems obvious is that the fund should have the ability to grant security over undrawn investor commitments and that it is allowed to call undrawn commitments to repay those facilities. These are, of course, basic points, but sometimes they lack in fund documents. Typically, lenders will look and review fund documents to ensure they have certain rights and the fund documents do not provide for extensive restrictions in terms of how they enforce their rights. For example, lenders will look at the ability to step into the shoes of the fund or the fund manager or the GP to be able to draw from investors directly these undrawn commitments. What they will look for in these circumstances is that they are able to call directly without the need to go through the fund manager and that they are able to call into potentially an account that is not the account of the fund, but an, an account as directed by the lender. There should not be restrictions as well on their ability to enforce, for example, any right of set of investors. Now, the pitfalls are often that some arrangements may be in other documents such as side letters. And when we review fund documents, we are careful not to overlook these pitfalls and restrictions that essentially will result in certain types of investors being excluded from the borrowing base by the lenders. These may be things such as restrictions to call investors directly, but also things such as immunity for certain types of investors. These are the things you need to look for as a law firm, as a, as a lender, to identify early in the process. Okay, interesting, Yannick. Thank you very much. And on the investor side, Joanna, in light of the, the mixed investor feedback that we discussed already, um, what kind of investor-friendly provisions do you typically come across in the relevant fund documentation to address the investors' concerns with respect to capital call financings? First of all, the, the, the bottom line is to achieve the right balance um, between the risk and the obligation of the fund, the lenders and the, and the investors, and to take into account their respective concerns. This will be part of the negotiation of the fund documents, including the side letters, but also of the credit agreements and all the related documents. Typically, what investors would like to see is, first of all, because the duration of the credit facilities may impact the financial aspects of the fund, they would typically request the duration of the facility to be rather short, up to 12 months. And generally, what we also see is cap on borrowing. Most of the investors, at least the, the large institutional investors, have actually internal requirement as to uh, the cap they would like to impose on fund managers. The other aspect is to avoid any direct relationship with the lenders. Historically, uh, lenders were requesting investors to provide them with investors' letter or opinions from investors. This is now included under the form of reps and warranties in the fund Documentation. So there is no direct relationship, contractual relationship between the investor and the lender. The other aspect is confidentiality of information. Investors generally want to maintain the confidentiality of information regarding their financial aspect, the size of their commitment, and any other information which might actually be relevant for the lenders. And 
the way it will be achieved is that generally they will request the information to be provided to lenders to be limited to publicly available information. And this is something which has to be discussed with the fund manager upon the implementation of the credit facility. Another aspect is transparency. So they would like to receive information regarding the deployment of the credit facility, the related costs, and to receive basically any additional disclosure which might be relevant for them. This will be generally achieved through a regular reporting, let's say the quarterly report, which will include information in that respect. Okay, thank you very much, Joanna. So a lot of interesting insights here. Maybe let me summarize the key takeaways for our audience today. I think there is no one-size-fits-all solution when it comes to the borrowing needs of a fund during the lifetime of a fund. That being said, I think that capital call financings constitute one of the fund-level financing key products where indeed the borrowing needs of the fund are accommodated, but at the same time protecting the lender's position. This is probably also why they are so popular. The lender's decision to make facility available to the fund is mainly based on the creditworthiness of the investors, as we have seen. It is key to have the investors on board. So what does the lender get from the investors, as Joanna mentioned? Ideally, and the advisable approach, in my view, is that indeed adequate provisions should be included upfront in the fund documentation. And the investors would then typically only be notified of the creation of the security over their unrun commitments. The level of involvement from the investors the lender will ultimately get is very often a key discussion point, as mentioned by Joanna, when negotiating a capital call financing. So it is crucial that funds and lenders get relevant advice, not only when they are contemplating to enter into this kind of capital call financing, but also that the fund is adequately advised upfront on these aspects, meaning typically the, let's say, expected lender protection points. And this should happen already at fund setup and fund documentation stage. So the fund, in other words, should get ready on the fund documents early in the process. Thank you very much and have a nice afternoon.